Hello, my name is Van Sneed, and welcome to episode 17 of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll continue on a little bit deeper. In our last episode, we were taking a look at a non-dispensational perspective, that of covenant theology. And on this episode, we're going to take a look at a a kind of dispensational perspective in progressive dispensationalism. So let's do this thing. So from the outset, I want to let you know that this episode is going to set a lot of things up, but maybe some of those things aren't going to land until a subsequent episode that we'll do on progressive dispensationalism. So after listening to this, if you go, hey, Van, I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. Don't fret. We'll get to it, but it may take a few episodes just so we have the time to actually flesh out these ideas as it relates to progressive dispensationalism. So in regards to the origins, we actually see that that label applied in the 1990s, around 91, by proponents Daryl Bach of Dallas Theological Seminary and Craig Bleising, both theologians. And one thing to understand is that both Bach and Bleising are looking at progressive dispensationalism as a modified, a revised, a continuation of classic dispensationalism. So they're looking at what men like Ryrie, what men like Schofield have laid out, and they're looking to evolve it, to continue in that tradition, a new form of dispensationalism. Now, one of the things that I think would be helpful is for us to land on a definition of progressive dispensationalism so that we can have a better understanding of how we should look at this particular theological construct. And ideally, we would do this via the definition given to us by a progressive dispensationalist. But here's actually where we find a little bit of a problem, is that progressive dispensationalists, major proponents of it, actually haven't landed on a singular definition. They note that there are patterns that will make one more or less dispensational, but it's actually kind of hard to find someone like Bach or someone like Bleising say, succinctly, here's what progressive dispensationalism actually is. So in order for us to have a better understanding of it, we're going to use someone who's been incredibly helpful in the study, whether you know it or not, Charles Ryrie and his book, Dispensationalism, in order to compare normative or classic dispensationalism and its distinctives with what Ryrie identifies as the distinctives of progressive dispensationalism. So first up, we'll take a look at classic dispensationalism, and the distinctives are three. The first is going to be a literal interpretation of Scripture. Of course, this means that words mean things, and that we should take the Bible literally unless it's clear that we should not take the Bible literally. And we've taken a look at this in detail in previous podcasts. So if you want more information about this distinctive or really any of the distinctives of dispensationalism, go back and take a listen to those earlier podcasts. 
The second distinction, of course, is going to be one between Israel and the church, that these are, in fact, two distinct people groups. Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. And therefore, God has different plans and different promises to each of these two groups. The third has to do with the purpose of God, which from a classic dispensational perspective is the glorification of himself. And this helps us to understand the theme of the Bible, which is the kingdom that Christ will inherit and rule. Now let's compare those with the distinctives of progressive dispensationalism, the first being a complementary hermeneutic. Now, Progressive dispensationalists will say that this is in addition to a literal hermeneutic, and so it's it's kind of a mixture between the two. But simply stated, the New Testament makes complementary changes to the Old Testament without leaving those promises. The second key distinctive is going to be the nature and timing of the Davidic covenant. And this is something that you'll also hear referred to as already, not yet. And again, we'll expound upon this in a future episode. But simply put, it's the belief that the Davidic covenant was inaugurated at Christ's ascension, but it will actually be fulfilled during the millennium and his second coming. So it kind of already happened, but also not yet. And the third distinctive is going to be related to the purpose of God, which is the salvation of sinners. So here we find that the theme of the Bible is redemption. So now that we've taken a look at some of the distinctives and kind of better understand them, let's actually take a look at the dispensations that progressive dispensationalists identify. And there are four rather than seven. The first is going to be patriarchal, and this is from creation all the way to Sinai. So what that means is that there's no distinction between a pre-fall and a post-fall dispensation, and that actually... This patriarchal dispensation, according to progressive dispensationalists, would cover the classic dispensations of innocence, conscience, human government, and patriarchs. So that's like, that's like a whole lot of things rolled up into one dispensation. The second is the Mosaic dispensation, which happens from Sinai all the way to the ascension of Christ. So that's all of the law, and according to classic dispensationalists, even some of the dispensation of grace. Next is the ecclesial dispensation, which goes from the ascension to the second coming. And this is most aligned with what classic dispensationalists would know as the age of grace. There's there's not too much change there. Now, the fourth is Zionic, which is kind of broken into two parts, the first being the millennium and the second being the eternal state. So according to both Bach and Bleising, they would say, quote, the millennium works as a step towards the fulfillment of the everlasting promises. So so these two kind of work in harmony, one Zionic dispensation, but broken down into two parts. So, so far, if we're paying attention, it seems like that progressive dispensationalists and classic dispensationalists have in common the word dispensation. Like, there, there's quite a few differences between classic dispensationalism and the tenets 
and the key distinctives of it and progressive dispensationalism, even though they share the same name. And Charles Ryrie has some interesting things to say about how progressive dispensationalists see the Bible. He says this, quote, Progressives do not see the church as completely distinct from Israel as normative dispensationalists have maintained. Neither do they consider the mystery concept of the church to mean that the church was not revealed in the Old Testament only, that it was unrealized. A corollary of this new view erases the idea of the two purposes of God, one for the church and one for Israel. So I want you to think about this for a second. What other theological construct have have we taken a look at that doesn't see a distinction between the church and Israel, maybe sees them as kind of one people group, and subsequently has a different eternal purpose of God? If you're thinking covenant theology, I think you're thinking correctly. And what's interesting is the similarities between progressive dispensationalism and covenant theology, so much so that covenant theologian Vern Poitras, while acknowledging that he doesn't speak for all covenant theologians, says this, quote, provided we are able to treat the question of Israel's relative distinctiveness in the millennium as a minor problem, no substantial areas of disagreement remain, end quote. Now he says this, speaking of the differences between progressive dispensationalism and covenant theology. Now, bringing progressive dispensationalism back and comparing it again against classic dispensationalism, I have a question for you. What makes a pizza? I know, guys, it's weird, but just go with me on this one, okay? What makes a pizza? I've got strong opinions. I think the sauce has got to be on point. I think the crust has to be, like, just right. It's got to be crispy enough to be able to, you know, get a slice by itself, but it's also got to be just like a little bit chewy. And it's got to have cheese, but it can't like be swamped. And guys, if you don't if you don't agree with me there, it's okay to be wrong. Don't worry, you can still listen to this podcast. I won't hold it against you. But the crust, the sauce, and the cheese, like if you just have those things, you have a pizza. So now you can add stuff on top of that, right? Like you can add pepperoni. That's a classic, that's a classic topping. You know, you can add you know, bell peppers or olives or or onions or, or Canadian bacon. Those are classic toppings. Now, some of y'all add pineapple. Again, you know, do you. That's fine. Some of y'all add anchovies. I mean, okay, that's whatever. Some of y'all add, like, barbecue chicken. I, I mean, okay, I'm for me, if I wanted barbecue, I'd just go get barbecue. But at some point, at some point, if you... Expect a pizza and you get spaghetti or lasagna and the person says, well, I mean, you know, it's it's a different type of pizza, but it's still got cheese. So like same, same, right? No, not same, same. Spaghetti's good. I'm not a hater on spaghetti. Lasagna, eh, take it or leave it. But at some point, if we change the essentials of a pizza, it's not pizza. And at some point, if we change the essentials of dispensationalism, it's not dispensationalism. So as always, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the PS Plus. And again, we're going to dive more into progressive dispensationalism next time. 
If you have questions or want to know more about the Living Faith Bible Institute, I encourage you to visit lfbi.org, where also you can sign up for our self-paced summer classes right now. And I'd encourage you to do so as a way to get caught up maybe on some classes that you're missing or... If you're a nerd, a Bible nerd, and you just want to learn more about, about the words of truth, man, it'll be a good time. As always, I appreciate you listening, and I hope to talk to you next time. Take care. Bye.